Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Roswell in the 21st century is a detailed re-examination of the Roswell UFO crash case. I have studied the evidence for more than 30 years, and I now put that evidence under a microscope in a cold case examination of the facts. These facts might not please everyone. They are based on my comprehensive investigation that took years to complete, but they do lead to the conclusion that whatever fell was not built on Earth. The best of Project Blue Book is based on the 22-year-long investigation conducted by the Air Force. But the book goes far beyond that, bringing in evidence that was uncovered long after Project Blue Book was ordered terminated. Using facts that were unavailable to the Air Force investigators, I was able to prove that the Air Force manipulated the data and drew unrealistic conclusions about the UFO sightings reported to them. My different perspective shows there was more to Project Blue Book than even the Air Force knew. Both books are available at Amazon.com. Join Patty Conklin and Healing Within Radio each week. More than entertainment, Healing Within offers educational, useful tools for everyday life. Listen for help overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression. Patty knows about eliminating cancer, MS, dementia, Parkinson's, and a host of illnesses that we face every day. Life can be good. Life is good. All you need are simple tools to start changing your life. Start right now by visiting pattyconklin.com, P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. No matter where you are in the world, you can work with Patty through Skype, phone, or in person, visiting one of her retreats in Georgia. Visit pattyconklin.com today or call our offices at 404-474-0086. That's pattyconklin.com or call 404 404- Four seven four zero zero eight six. Welcome everyone to Too Good to Be True. Thank you for taking the time to listen. The subject for today's show is Amityville Horror and other stories where books and movies were based on allegedly haunted locations. Some of today's content is disturbing, so listener discretion is advised. Before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject and research it, and based on that research, we determine what we think needs to explain by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to answer those questions. The psychic insight is narrated towards the end of the show. Accepting the psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. 
Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through research and the psychic insight. We are always delighted to hear from the listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means that there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We are only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter in shows may have already been covered many times in other media. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We are not so good with pronouncing names. We apologize. And neither of us have any particular knowledge of paranormal activity. If we have misstated anything, we apologize. The Amnityville horror story has been the subject of countless movies. How did it all start? Started from a book as described by Wikipedia. Quote, The Amityville Horror is a book by American author Jay Anson, published in September 1977. It is also the basis of a series of films released from 1979 onward. The book is claimed to be based on the paranormal experiences of the Lutz family, but has led to controversy and lawsuits over its truthfulness, unquote. There is a documented history leading up to the events described in the book, again from Wikipedia. Quote, on November 13, 1974, Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot and killed six members of his family at 112 Ocean Avenue, a large Dutch colonial house situation situated in a suburban neighborhood in Amityville on the south shore of Long Island, New York. He was convicted of second-degree murder in November 1975, unquote. I think to understand the paranormal experiences, we need to know about the motivation for the murders. By being a second-degree murders, they were found not to be premeditated. Here's more from Wikipedia. Quote, DeFeo's trial began on October the 14th, 1975. He and his defense lawyer, William Weber, mounted an affirmative defense of insanity, with DeFeo claiming that he killed his family in self-defense because he heard their voices plotting against him. The insanity plea was supported by the psychiatrist for the defense, Daniel Schwartz. The psychiatrist for the prosecution, Dr. Harold Zolan, maintained that although DeFeo was a user of heroin and LSD, he had antisocial personality disorder and was aware of his actions at the time of the crime. On November 21st, 1975, DeFeo was found guilty on six counts of secondary murder. On December 4th, 1975, Judge Thomas Stark sentenced DeFeo to six concurrent sentences of 25 years to life. DeFeo is currently held at the Sullivan Correctional Facility in the town of Fallsburg, New York, and all of his appeals and requests to the parole board to date have been denied." Unquote. All the victims, DeFeo's parents and siblings, were murdered at around three in the morning in their bedrooms. DeFeo, who was the eldest child, is the sole surviving family member. What happened after the murders? Wikipedia describes the content of Jay Anson's book. Quote, the book purportedly based on a true story describes the house at 112 Ocean Avenue as remaining empty for 13 months after the DeFeo murders. In December 1975, George and Kathleen Lutz bought a house for what was considered to be a bargain price of $80,000. The five-bedroom house was built in Dutch colonial style and had a distinctive gambrel roof. It also had a swimming pool and a boathouse, as it was located on a canal. The article continues. The Lutz family moved in December 19, 1975. Much of the DeFeo's family's furniture was still in the house because it was included for $400 as part of the deal. A friend of George Lutz learned about the history of the house and insisted on having it blessed. At the time, George was a non-practicing Methodist and had no experience of what this would entail. Kathy was a non-practicing Catholic and explained the process, unquote. It sounds like an upmarket piece of real estate. I wonder if it was a good idea keeping the furniture. But to go to the trouble of arranging the blessing, following the friend's insistence, the buyers must have had some type of level of concern. 
According to the story, the Catholic priest performing the blessing heard a masculine voice telling him to get out as well as being slapped. He later called George Lutz to advise him to stay out of the second floor room used before as a bedroom where he had heard the voice and was slapped. Following the visit, the priest was reported to have developed a high fever with blisters on his hands, similar to stigmata. The stigmata are the scars of the wounds that Jesus suffered during the crucifixion. DeFeo claimed he had heard voices. Maybe something evil prompted him to commit the murders. But something more dramatic than a priest hearing a voice and then getting a fever and blisters must have happened to fill out a book. The Pop Sugar website describes events during the 28 days the Lutz family lived in the house. Quote, In that month, the family allegedly experienced paranormal activity, such as green slime oozing from the walls and demonic pigs lurking about. Additionally, they reported seeing eyes peering in from, out, from outside, hearing untraceable noises and smelling weird and pervasive odours. Kathleen apparently levitated in bed and George woke up at 3.15am each day, the time of the murders, unquote. The book is apparently based on 45 hours of recordings of recollections made by the Lutzes. So when they had enough, they upped and left. I wonder if they took the furniture that they had previously belonged to the DeFeo family. Later, did anyone else have any bad experiences in the house? Apparently not, but the controversy didn't end. According to Wikipedia, in May 1977, there was a lawsuit brought by the Lutzes against various parties, including Ronald DeFeo's defense attorney, William Weber, and others, including news organizations, alleging misappropriation of names for trade purposes, invasion of privacy, and mental distress. The judge at trial in dismissing the Lutz's claim took the view that Jay Anson's book was a work of fiction, relying in large part on the suggestions of William Weber. In a September 1979 edition of People magazine, William Weber claimed that the story was a hoax made up with the Lutzes over many bottles of wine. However, earlier in, that, earlier in June of that year, George and Kathy Lutz had passed polygraph tests indicating that they were telling the truth about their experiences. Let's turn our attention to another successful movie, The Shining, or at least the inspiration for it, The Stanley Hotel in Colorado. The movie was released in 1980, and was based on the Stephen King novel of the same name, published in 1977. It seems that 1977 was a vintage year for horror stories, with the Amityville Horror having been published in the same year. How did the Stanley Hotel come into the story? Wikipedia provides the explanation. Quote, The Shining is a horror novel by American author Stephen King. Published in 1977, it is King's third published novel and the first hardback bestseller. The success of the book firmly established King as a preeminent author in the horror genre. The setting and characters are influenced by King's personal experience, including both his visit to the Stanley Hotel in 1974 and his recovery from alcoholism, unquote. In the novel, the fictional hotel is the Overlook Hotel. What is the history of the hotel and how Stephen King was influenced by it? The Shining's Wikipedia page provides the answers. Quote, the Stanley Hotel is a, a 142-room colonial revival hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, United States. Approximately five miles from the entrance to Rocky Mountain National Park, the Stanley offers panoramic views of Lake Estes, the Rockies, and especially Long's Peak. It was built by freelance Oscar Stanley of Stanley Steamer fame, and opened on July the 4th, 1909, as a result for upper-class Easterners and a health retreat for sufferers of pulmonary tuberculosis. The hotel and its surrounding structures are listed on the National Register of Historic Places. The article continues. Sometime in 1974, horror writer Stephen King and his wife Tabitha spent one night at the Stanley Hotel during their brief residency in Boulder, Colorado, at the, at the time, King was struggling with Darkshine as the working title of his latest project. King had set the events of the book in an amusement park, but he felt a more isolated setting was necessary. According to George Beam's Stephen King, Stephen King companion, on the advisement of locals, he suggested a resort hotel located in Estes Park, an hour's drive away to the north. Stephen and Tabitha King found themselves checking in at the Stanley Hotel, 
just as its other guests were checking out because the hotel was shutting down for the winter season. After checking in and after Tabitha went to bed, King Rona Halls and went down to the hotel bar where drinks were served by a bartender named Grady. As he returned to his room number 217, his imagination was fired up by the hotel's remote location, its grand size and its eerie desolation. And when King went into the bathroom and pulled back the pink curtain for the tub, which had claw feet, he thought, what if somebody died here? At that moment, I knew I had a book, unquote. We'll continue after this short break, and you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Are you looking for psychic services that empower as well as provide accurate information? Jenny is a third-generation psychic with extensive esoteric training. A practicing professional intuitive for over 30 years, her accuracy is astounding. While most psychics can read what will happen to you if you don't change directions, Jenny understands the future is subjective. While there is a river of time we all traverse, that river has many waves, eddies, currents, and tributaries from which to choose. With Jenny e as your guide, you can explore the many possible outcomes in the river of time and navigate your course to the one of your liking. Take control of your future. Book your life-changing session with Jenny today at www.gen-e.net. That's www.gen-e.net. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. Is formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet's day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Before the break, we were discussing The Shining and Stephen King visiting Estes Park at the Stanley Hotel. It doesn't sound like Stephen King saw a ghost, but he had an interesting quote about his novel. Any big hotels have got scandals. Just like every big hotel has got a ghost. Why? Hell, people come and go. Sometimes one of them will pop off in his room, heart attack or stroke or something like that. Hotels are superstitious places. Apparently, the hotel hosts tourists because of its well-publicized paranormal activity. 
Let's start with room 217, the room that inspired Stephen King. The following is from the Amy's Crypt website. Quote, the story begins in 1911 when the Stanley Hotel was powered by gas lighting. During a severe storm, this power was lost and a maid was to enter room 217 to investigate. Elizabeth Wilson caused an explosion upon entering a room with a candle, partly destroying that area of the hotel and sending her crashing through the floor, landing on the floor below and breaking her ankle. Elizabeth survived the explosion and went on to live the rest of her happy and long life. Many now believe that she has returned to the hotel in death and has taken a liking to hang around room 217. Guests have reported that their belongings will become unpacked during their stay in the room. Objects will move around on their own and the disembodied voice of a woman can be heard during the night. Some have also claimed to see the apparition of Elizabeth walking through room 217 and exiting straight through a wall which was once a doorway, unquote. I wonder why room 217 was allocated to Stephen King. Maybe it was just random. Current rates are $159 to $209 a night, depending on the time of the year, not including a tip for any unusual experiences. The Amy's Crypt website includes the five most haunted hotspots. The next one is the tunnel. Quote, Many people do not know that the Stanley Hotel is built upon a cave system, which includes a surviving underground tunnel connected to the hotel. While the tunnel is far less known and glamorous and glamorous paranormal hotspot with the, within the Stanley Hotel in comparison to room 217, many people have reported having experiences, experiences when entering this dark and ominous appearing space. The tunnel has been used as a thoroughfare for staff and even continues to assist employees in getting around today. Interestingly, it may be former, uh, maybe, maybe former staff who are the cause of some of the activity reported in the subterranean depths of the haunted hotel. One of these spirits is rumoured to be that of a chef responsible for the smells of home-baked goods that seem to linger in the tunnel with no apparent source. Another less known but commonly encountered spirit also exists within the Stanley Hotel's haunted tunnel. This is the spirit of a grey cat, commonly described as having bright green glowing eyes, unquote. Nothing so far seems to have been scary, except maybe for individuals that didn't or don't believe in ghosts. The Grand Staircase is the next most haunted spot. Quote, no visitor to the Stanley Hotel will miss sighting the hotel's grand staircase, which greets those who enter the Stanley's lobby with a certain inviting charm. Although a staircase may not seem like an overly spooky place, these stairs have, their, have seen their own share of spirits. The staircase at the Stanley Hotel is perhaps the most popular place for ghosts to show up in visitors' photographs. A number of eerie photos have been snapped, which appear to show transparent people making their way up the stairs, dressed in clothing that echoes the past. One popular apparition to show up in the photos is that of a woman who is dressed in 19th century garb, unquote. It doesn't sound like the identity of the lady dressed in the 19th century clothing is known, but the hotel was opened in the 20th century in 1909. Maybe there had been a fancy dress party at the hotel, or the lady just liked wearing older clothes. But which place is next? Room 428 on the fourth floor. Quote, Although room 217 gets most of the spotlight, another room in the Stanley Hotel is highly sought after by paranormal enthusiasts. This is room 428, which is also claimed to be extremely haunted. Guests staying in this room are reported furniture to move around on its own, accord without explanation. It is also said to hold the ghost of a cowboy who is commonly seen standing over visitors as they sleep at night. He has even been known to give ladies a kiss. Although this is just one room of interest, the fourth floor of the hotel is actually said to be the most haunted, with many reported ghostly experiences coming from the area. Children are reported to wander the halls of the fourth floor and room 401 is another to request for some spooky activity said to be haunted by the former landowner." Unquote. What is the final hotspot? The concert hall. Quote, there is no other place within the Stanley Hotel that is said to be as active or harbour more ghosts than the old concert hall. This grand space intended for performances has somehow become a magnet for ghosts and the paranormal. The spirit of Paul, a former employee who passed away in the 1980s, is said to linger here. 
Poe was a handyman at the hotel for many years and took obvious pride in his work. Another of the resident and well-known spirits who occupies the concert hall is that of Lucy. Lucy has a mysterious past and no one truly knows how she, come, how she came to be at the Stanley. Yet she is rumoured to have been a young homeless woman who died in the area. There are also a number of children said to haunt this area of the hotel, commonly reported to interact with guests. Finally, to top off the spiritual energy in this area is a strange mirror. This antique piece has strange origins that aren't truly known, yet many have claimed to sight or capture figures when peering into this mirror. Unquote. All those alleged sightings would make the Stanley Hotel a more than interesting place to visit. We have time for one more story. There are a number to choose from, but let's go with the haunting in Connecticut. Wikipedia has a dedicated page. Quote, the Haunting in Connecticut is a 2009 American supernatural horror film produced by Gold Circle Films and directed by Peter Cornwell. The film is alleged to be about Carmen Snedeker and her family, though Ray Garton, author of In a Dark Place, The Story of a True Haunting, 1992, has publicly distanced himself from the actual of the events he depicted in the book. The film's story follows the fictional Campbells as they move into a house, a former mortuary, to mitigate the strains of travel on their cancer-stricken son. The family soon becomes haunted by violent and traumatic events from supernatural forces occupying the house, unquote. That sounds like true horror. What happened there? The true story is outlined by the Dread Central website, quote, In 1986, Carmen and Al Snedeker moved into the small town of Southington, Connecticut, with the purpose of being closer to the hospital at which their oldest son was being treated for Hodgkin's lymphoma. Having fallen on hard financial times, the family jumped at the chance to rent what appeared to be the perfect house. It was large enough for their family, which included three children and a cousin, and the rent was in their affordable price range. It was while they were moving in that Al made a startling discovery. In the basement was a peculiar room that was complete with embalming tables and tools. The house, it turned out, used to be a funeral home. Moreover, the basement, which was sectioned into several rooms, was the only room deemed large enough to serve as the two boys' bedroom, unquote. So nobody told them about the business that had been ran in the house before they had moved in. Maybe or maybe not, we shall see. The story gets worse again from Dead Central. Quote, not long after, Carmen said she began experiencing strange phenomena, like items disappearing in her children reporting seeing strange people in the house as well as hearing voices and the sounds of hundreds of birds taking flight. Her oldest, who was at the time in the middle of radiation treatment, began to exhibit radical personality shifts, becoming withdrawn and angry. He brooded and began writing poetry with necrophiliac themes. During one intense episode, he attacked his cousin with the attempt to rape her. His family had him arrested and he was taken for an evaluation where he was pronounced schizophrenic. He was removed from the house and seemed to get better until returning, unquote. That sounded truly horrific. Doesn't get any better. Here's more from the same article. Quote, other phenomena that were reported by the Snedekers included the repeated and brutal rape of both Carmen and her niece, as well as acts of sodomy being performed on her husband by unseen entities. More mortar was, was reported to turn blood red and the scents of rotting flesh and decay were reported throughout the house. She was also frightened of apparitions that she saw, one with long black hair and black eyes, the other with white hair and eyes, and wearing a pinstripe tuxedo. It was then that Carmen decided to contact controversial paranormal investigators, Ed and Lorraine Warren, unquote. Oh, uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren had previously investigated the Amityville horror. How did the story end? According to Dread Central, the Warrens lived in the house until they had similar experiences to the Snedekers. Apparently, one of the undertakers at the funeral home had been found guilty of necrophilia. An exorcism was performed, but the controversy didn't end. Apparently, families that lived in the house before and after the Snedekers didn't have bad experiences. Also, the house's owner refuted that the Snedekers didn't know that the house had been used as a funeral parlour. Finally, author Ray Garton, who, had, who we had mentioned earlier, went as far as calling the whole episode a hoax. 
It's time for the first question, starting with the Amityville Horror. Did Donald DeFeo Jr. hear the voice of his family members plotting against him at any time before or around three in the morning on November the 13th, 1974? He thought he was hearing those voices, yes. But they weren't real? Correct. I think we don't have any time for any more questions before the break, Justine. Yes, we'll continue after the short break, and you're listening to Too Good To Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. life change if you could develop the business and personal skills that you need in order to make more money do you want to learn how to achieve your big life goals faster then go to findhiddenmoney.com and get the goal for it online course the course teaches you how you can set and achieve your biggest goals while completely overcoming the roadblocks to your goals so that you can realize your dreams and imagine more success go to findhiddenmoney.com If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide audience if you have seen a ufo had a close encounter seen a ghost bigfoot lake monster or a story that you would like to share or have investigated contact me rob mcconnell by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll free 1-800-610-7035 extension 143 and on skype xzone radio tv for more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, always remember Exxon Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit iconquality.com. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we are going through the questions and psychic insight about the Amityville horror. So, Dad, can you please continue? Was DeFeo a user of heroin and LSD with an antisocial personality? That could be said, yes. Was DeFeo aware of his actions at the time of the crime, and if so, what was the motivation? He was not completely aware of his actions, so he was not completely with it. 
So it was something that he didn't have full control of, you could say. Was he high on drugs? Yes. In December of 1975, when the Lutzes bought the house, did they have little knowledge of the murders that had occurred there in November of 1974? Correct. So they had little knowledge? Yes, little knowledge. Did buying the furniture that belonged to the DeFeo family have any concern for the Lutzes? It has a negative energy associated with it, but overall that shouldn't make much of a difference, no. Did the Catholic priest performing the blessing hear a masculine voice telling him to get out as well as, as, well as being slapped? Yes. Was the priest in a bad place in the second floor room in terms of paranormal activity because it was used before as a bedroom and presumably was the location of one or more murders? Correct, yes. Did the priest subsequently call George Lutz warning him to stay out of that room? Yes. Following the visit, did the priest develop a high fever with blisters on his hand, similar to the, to the stigmata? Yes. Which entities, which entity or entities were involved in the priest's bad experiences? They were very negative ones, so they were demonic in nature. Why did the entities behave in that manner towards the priest? They knew he was a priest, so they behaved worse towards him, since he was trying to perform the blessing. During the 28 days the Lutz family lived in the house, did they experience paranormal activity such as green slime oozing from the walls and demonic pigs lurking about? There were negative experiences, yes, but a lot of them were more, you could almost call them, hallucinations. So there wasn't physically green slime leaking from the walls, but it appeared that it was in their minds. So you could call it more trickery versus something just physical. Did they hear untraceable noises and smell weird and pervasive odours? Yes. Did Kathleen Lutz levitate in bed? That's what they believed happened, yes. But again, it was partially part of the illusion. Did George Lutz wake up at 3.15 in the morning each day, the time of the murders? Yes. When the Lutzes upped and left, did they leave the furniture that belonged to the DeFeos? Yes. Were there entities or negatively uh, still attached? Were there entities or negative enti- uh, or negative spirits still attached to the furniture that had belonged to the DeFeos? There was negative energy. Yes. Was it significant enough to explain some of the happenings? It's related. Yes. So it's not a full expansion explanation, but that combined with the fear caused a lot of the negative experiences. Why didn't the Lutzes meet with author Jay Anson for his book instead of leaving 45 hours of recordings of their recollections? It was easier for them, so they had all the negative memories they didn't really want to talk about. So they found it just easier to leave the recordings. After the Lutzes left, did anyone else have bad experiences in the house? They had experiences here and there, but nothing major, no. Why did the Lutzes think, think it was necessary to bring a lawsuit against various parties, including Ronald DeFeo's defense attorney, William Weber? They wanted some type of solution, so they were desperate at that point to try to make things as right as they could. Why did the judge at the trial, in dismissing the Lutzes' claim, view that J. Anson's book was a work of fiction, relying in large part on the suggestions of William Weber? It's very hard, especially in the court of law, to prove something more paranormal in nature. So if there's not physical evidence, a case cannot actually be ruled in their favor. So there had to be physical evidence. There had to be evidence that proved that the claims are true, which they could not provide. How did George and Kathy Lutz pass polygraph tests indicating that they were telling the truth about their experiences? They believed those experiences. So again, part of it was illusion but part of it was really real. So you can think about it as it was real in their minds, but it wasn't physically what was happening at all times. So fear, paranoia, negative emotions, etc., can really drive people to the brink of insanity. What else can you say about the Amityville horror, including why the demons apparently left with others not having bad experiences? So number one, the demons basically followed the people and not the home. So they latched onto the people. So as the people left, they actually followed. But over time, since the fear with moving declined, that made it so the demons did not have as much power. 
they couldn't feed off the fear. And that made it so that the house, again, as they followed the people, not the house, the house was fine after this. So the best thing to do in many situations, especially hauntings, is to stay as calm as possible, really rationalize things, and don't feed into the negativity and the experience. Since once you acknowledge something is happening and make it more real in your mind, it can just get worse and worse. The demons arrived in the first place because of the six murders that occurred in the house. Correct, yes. And that attracted them? Correct, yes. They are attracted to very negative spaces, especially ones that have violent history. Changing attention to the Stanley Hotel in Colorado, why was 1977 such a notable year for horror stories, with both The Shining and the Amityville Horror being published? Basically, it was what was piquing people's interest. So the horror genre was just more and more popular to people, and more people were enjoying it. As author Stephen King returned to his room number 217 after a few drinks, was his imagination fired up by anything else other than his surroundings? In a way, that could be said, yes. He was planning on writing his next book anyway, so he was thinking of ideas for that. Why did King observe that every big hotel has got a ghost with hotels being superstitious places? Basically because so many people come and go from hotels. So there are many people and people who either have very positive experiences and don't want them to end or have more negative experiences and are more trapped there. In 1911, during a severe storm, did Maid Elizabeth Wilson cause an explosion upon entering room 217 with a candle sending her crashing through the floor, landing on the floor below, breaking her ankle, but surviving. Yes. Does the ghost of Elizabeth Wilson like to hang around room 217? No, that's not her ghost. So without identifying the ghost, why is that ghost hanging around room 217? They actually had a positive experience in the hotel, so they went back to recreate their memories. So the spirit has not passed over to the other side? No, not yet. Do guests find that their belongings will become unpacked during their stay in this room with objects moving around on their own? Yes. Can the disembodied voice of a woman be heard during the night? There's a voice, yes. It would be identified as more high-pitched, but it's not necessarily a woman, no. Having Have some seen a female apparition walking through room 217 and exiting straight through a wall? which was once a doorway. Yes. Have many people had strange experiences when entering the underground tunnel connected to the hotel? Yes, but some of those experiences are created by the expectation that the place is haunted and their fear and intrigue. So some experiences are real, while others are not. Does the smell of home-baked goods linger in the tunnel with no apparent source? Yes. Does the ghost of a grey cat with bright green glowing eyes haunt the tunnel? Yes. Do the ghosts of people making their way up or down the grand staircase appear in photographs or are they just imprints? Those are more imprints, so those are not the actual ghosts appearing. Is a popular apparition seen in photographs a woman dressed in 19th century clothes? Yes, that's correct. With the hotel being built in 1909, why would an apparition appear wearing 19th century clothes? There were people there before the hotel was built. So it's more the imprint on the land, not the hotel itself. What was there before the hotel? For a while, it was just a small home, so it was nothing special. In room 428 on the fourth floor, sorry, is room 428 on the fourth floor extremely haunted? That could be said that many people have had experiences there. But again, many people are expecting experiences or have fear of the experiences, which can trigger not only false memories on their part, but also the paranormal activity. In room 428, does furniture move around on its own? Yes. Does a ghost of a cowboy appear in that room, sometimes kissing ladies? Yes, that's correct. Do ghostly children roam the hallways of the fourth floor? No. Is room 401 haunted by the former landowner? No. Does the concert hall harbour more ghosts while being more paranormally active than any other location in the Stanley Hotel. Yes, that could be said. Does the ghost of Paul, the former handyman, linger in the concert hall? No, that's not Paul. 
So a ghost does linger. Is it a handyman? He helped fix the place, but he was not one of the known handymen. So it was someone who came from time to time. Does a ghost named Lucy also occupy the concert hall? No, that's a made-up story. Do a number of child ghosts haunt the area? No. Well, we got kind of a long answer to the next question, so I guess we better transition to the next uh, break. Yes, we'll continue after this short break, and you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net. Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. Is formulated from zoolite whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we are going through the questions and psychic insight about the Stanley Hotel. Dad, can you please continue? So where do these stories come from? Again, when people go in with the expectations of hauntings and the situation where hauntings and stories are encouraged, they are more likely to have experiences that aren't completely real. So there are some ghosts, some hauntings, 
some very interesting energy at the hotel. However, there are not any children, at least not at this time, that are present. So especially the children are more based on the stories people may have heard where they think they are hearing something or seeing something, but it's not actually there. Is there a strange mirror in which ghostly figures can be seen? No. Why is the Stanley Hotel so haunted? Is it because it is over 100 years old with so many people have been, having been guests? That's part of it, and also what the Stanley Hotel has become. So with it being very known for being haunted, that is almost a safe haven for ghosts and entities to go to. So they know there's this expectation that it's haunted, and in a way it makes them more drawn to the place. So when something's considered very, very haunted, it also has unique energy. So the ghosts want to make their presence felt? Yes. Does author Stephen King have terrific intuition for paranormal activity? Yes, he has. What else can you say about the Stanley Hotel? That it is very known for these hauntings, but again, it's very hard to prove any type of paranormal experience, especially at the Stanley Hotel. So there are many critics that go there, but there also needs to be some type of respect for the hotel as a whole. So respect for this unique energy, respect for the paranormal activity, even if it's not something that is really occurring. So if someone does have an experience, not really critiquing them, but more listening, accepting them, and understanding those experiences. So a lot of the Stanley Hotel has become almost a laughing stock in multiple communities. But again, each person's experience is unique and should be respected. Changing subject to the haunting in Connecticut. Did Al Snedeker make the discovery that the house was used that the house used to be a funeral home just as the family were moving in, or did he know beforehand? He did not know until he moved in. Soon after moving in, did Carmen Snedeker experience items disappearing? Yes. Did the children report seeing strange people in the house as well as hearing voices and the sounds of hundreds of birds taking flight? Yes. Did the eldest child in the middle of radiation treatment become withdrawn and angry, writing poetry with necrophiliac themes? Yes. Did the eldest child attack his cousin with the intent to rape her? Yes. Why did the eldest child, diagnosed with schizophrenia, appear to get better away from the house until returning? The house did have an effect on the child. So it was too much for the child, and the child could find more peace and even acceptance in places other than the house. Did unseen entities repeatedly brutally rape both Carmen and her niece, as well as perform acts of sodomy on her husband? Unfortunately, yes. That's their experience, yes. Did mop water turn blood red with the sense of rotting flesh and decay evidence throughout the house? Again, physically, no, but mentally in their minds, yes. Did Carmen see apparitions, including one with long black hair and black eyes, the other with white hair and eyes and wearing a pinstripe tuxedo? Yes. Who had been the individuals that appeared as apparitions? Basically, you could say not really individuals, but more demonic entities. So ones pretending to be people or their ghosts, but not really ghosts. Why were these horrific, horrific experiences happening to the Snedeker family? They were targeted. So since they were the new occupants, they were the easy targets. Following the Snedeker, Snedeker family leaving the house, did paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren stay there until they had similar experiences? Yes. Had one of the undertakers at the funeral home been found guilty of necrophilia? That's what has been concluded, yes. Was the individual dead before the Snedeker family moved into the house? Yes. Did the ghost of that individual haunt the house? No. So there were demons, not the ghost of that individual? Correct, yes. Was an exorcism performed? Multiple, actually, yes. Did the exorcisms rid the house of evil entities? No, they actually made it worse. Is it common for exorcisms to make things worse? If they are not performed correctly, yes. So if it is more about the intentions versus actually ridding the, of the entities. So for example, if the intention is to stir up entities to make some sort of show, it's not effective, it can actually make it worse. What were the demons? 
That's a very complicated question, but they were related to the negative actions of some actual humans that occurred in the house. So you can say in a way they opened a portal to let these entities through. So they are very negative and were feeding off the negative human acts and preying on them, on the humans, since fear and violence really drags them. Did the families that lived in the house before and after the Slendikers have no bad experiences? That's correct, yes. So the demons targeted the Slendikers and then left with it, were left with them? So in this case, yes, they left for a period of time. But when the fear died down, the demons had nothing to feed off of. So eventually they were, you could say, eliminated. But the demons did, did but the demons also stuck around for the Warrens staying in, when they stayed in the house. Yes, since the Warrens were, you could almost call it teasing them in a way. So even though they had involvement with the Warrens, they left with the Snedegers in is that correct? Yes. Why did Ray Garton, author of In a Dark Place, a story of a true haunting? based on the happenings in the house, later called a whole episode a hoax. Because of how you could call it Hollywood allowed many of the experiences made to be believed. So facts weren't given, a lot of things were made more interesting than they actually were. So there were some experiences that were real, but also ones that were faked. What else can you say about the haunting in Connecticut? Just to make sure you research the history of the house before you buy the house. So their families actually had knowledge of what had happened in the house before they moved in and were mentally prepared. But in the other case of finding out that the house was actually such a negative place, made it so this negative energy could not really not only affect the house, but the people in it. So researching the house and also realizing that fear is what really drives very negative things. So believing in yourself, seeing as positive as possible, and really helping your mental health. So again, this family was not in the best place mentally either, which was also a factor in the haunting. That was the last answer. Is the described behavior of ghost haunting locations rather than people too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. I think the most disturbing thing for me was for the Amityville horror and also the haunting in Connecticut. There was the sort of um, conflict in beliefs that a place was haunted without the thought that um, perhaps uh, the entities were attached to the people and left with the people. So it was like true or false. It was either black and white. Either the victims were telling the truth or they weren't. So I think that was really disturbing and unfortunate. I think what's also sad with a lot of these haunting experiences that even if people don't believe it in them, which is completely fine, is that these children are affected. So you can see how multiple children, especially in the haunting in Connecticut, were really affected in very, very disgusting, negative ways. So it's not only the parents that are affected, but also these poor children. Yes, and uh, I guess the, the advice there was when you move to a new place, be very careful to research it, what what's happening, and if the rent is low or the mortgage is low, why is that? It's, why why is something uh, such good value? Yes, I think that goes back to if something seems too good to be true, probably don't go with that option. And as for the Stanley Hotel, I have to smile. It sounds like a fun place. It sounds like there's a lot of um, happy ghosts who are who like being there and like the people. Yeah, unfortunately, when I was in Colorado, we went to Estes Park. We were in the Rocky Mountains, but we didn't go to the Stanley Hotel. So we were a few miles from it. We saw the signs for it. But even in Estes Park, we stopped and got lunch. We went to a bunch of gift shops. And honestly, everyone was just really nice. There was obviously a lot of different signs and merchandise for paranormal activity, including a lot of things that happened supposedly in the Rocky Mountains, which is another topic. But everyone was super friendly. Yes, and if you want room 217 or room 418, they're available. You just have to book early to avoid disappointment. (laughs) 
On that note, too, talking about Stephen King, um, as you know, Dad, and I'll tell the listeners, I've read a lot of Stephen King's work. Um, I would consider him one of my favorite authors, very interested in him. But I think that in a positive way, it's done a lot for the community and for the Stanley Hotel. So even if nothing comes out of it, there's not really any ghosts. I think it's really significant that people are really appreciating this hotel and appreciating its beauty. Yes, and uh, I've only been to Colorado on one occasion. I have to say I was absolutely overwhelmed by the natural beauty of the place. So I need to go back, and I certainly, if I get the opportunity, would stay at the Stanley Hotel. Well, I think on that note, we'll discuss our Facebook page at Too Good To Be True with the first two spelled T-W-O and also our Instagram page at T-W-O-G-T-B-T. And if you have any suggestions, if you are interested in Stephen King's work or just ghosts in general or have any suggestions for hauntings, we would love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening and we look forward to next week's show. 